Little did you know you are strong, smart, insightful, beautiful, hilarious, loyal, and loved. The podcast you need to navigate your 20s. Little did you know with Shelby Eastwood. to another week. I'm super excited because there's only like less than two weeks left of school. Something you guys might have started to notice is that um, I actually have this huge ginormous bank of people and guests and we just record them whenever we have free time. So this next guest that we have for today, I'm super excited to talk to them just because of the courses I've been taking lately and um, how important mental health is right now everywhere. And there's a part where we talk about how much snow there is. Rest assured, we are the middle of June now, and we do not have snow anymore. So that's just a little caveat, is that these are some of these are recorded um, in the moment, some of them are recorded in advance. And so, yeah, when you hear that, just disregard the snow. It was just a fun conversation, though, all around. And, um, yeah, but almost done we're almost near the end guys it's so exciting and i can't wait but um let's tune in to uh my conversation ahead with michael so let's take a break and then we'll be right back hi michael how are you Shelby, good to be with you. Oh, thank you for taking time out of your evening to chat. Um, where are you anyway? So I'm in Tarrytown, New York, which is actually people know it in America from the legend of Sleepy Hollow, the famous Washington Irving story oh. about the headless horseman. So it's about 35, 45 minutes north of New York City, right on the Hudson River. Okay. It's okay. a pretty part of town. It's a small little sleepy town. Uh, nice little suburb. Are you originally Are you originally from New York? I'm originally from the New York uh, suburbs in Long Island. So from one suburb to the other, can't <laughs> get too far. That's too funny. Do you guys have a lot of snow down there? We have not. We we, no? we just had a, a little March snowstorm, which which we want to get once in a while. And you're up in Canada, so I imagine you were very used to snow. Yeah, yeah, and we just uh, yeah, and we're up in northern Ontario, northern Ontario there, so tons. Tons of snow. <laughs> they actually had to take a. They had to take like six dump trucks today to go clear snow off the roads because that's how much snow that, that there's been here. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Something not fun. Not fun. Summer can come anytime now. <laughs> um, I kind of did a little brief synopsis intro before you kind of came on air here, but I always like to save um the main introductions for the guests to kind of share their story and tell everybody what inspired them to do what they do, motivated you. So I would, can you tell everybody who you are, what you do, why you do it? Yeah, why I do it. So I'm a psychologist. I'm a clinical psychologist that works with adults, young adults, adolescents. I've I've done a lot of college counseling. Um, But my main passion, I work in Manhattan School of Music as well as being in private practice. And my main passion is like showing people general audience and therapists as well that we are really creative beings and the more that we enhance and integrate our mental health the more creative we can be both personally and artistically so my latest hobby of course is to really talk about how it's all connected how literature music film 
part, all of it connects to us being more fully human and that, you know, actually therapy and, 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 and learning about ourselves, not even just therapy. I think when therapy is done really well, it's like good fiction. It goes to the heart of the battle. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's all about developing as a character and what better character than ourselves. That's that's a that's a that's a good analogy. I like it. I'm a big I'm a big reader, and I like that how you just worded that. Very that's that's awesome. Um, it's it's cool when I when we first started chatting there. I uh, so I'm a teacher. I teach grade seven, and something about teaching. I don't really know how it works in the states, but in in Canada, you have to have like your undergrad degree, and then your teaching degree, and then you can take like additional qualifications and. One of the things that I noticed um, when I was doing that was that there was no mental health qualification, I guess you could call it. Like there was like your French one, which I have, like your phys ed, your reading, your math, your spec ed, blah, blah, blah. But there was no mental health one. So I started doing like some research and there is a university just outside of just in downtown Toronto, actually, that offers a mental health and addiction certificate program. And it's 10 courses. You got to get it done in like six years. I won't go into the details, but it's funny because your bio said clinical psychology and the course I'm in right now is clinical psychology. <laughs> so I was like, oh, hey, cool. This is kind of cool because I'm literally in this class right now. I just took my midterm for this class. <laughs> synchronicity. Yeah, yeah, right? That's what the prof just said. <laughs> he was talking about synchronicity like two weeks ago. <laughs> That's funny. So it's just, it's funny how like the, you showed up as like a, 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 a guest match and I'm in, it's just, it, yeah, synchronicity. Yeah, good, good, good comment. <laughs> but it's, it's cool because I've learned a lot about like, like obviously I've taken like my, my undergrads in kinesiology, but like you take a lot of psychology courses and stuff like that. So I kind of had like that basis already, but to kind of get it from the mental health perspective and, and reading more and learning more about like how therapy works and all of that stuff, re- especially recently in this course, I found it to be really really insightful and like I would apply it in the school setting just because I'm a teacher um but hearing how you've used it too and and in colleges and stuff like that like how how is that experience for you yeah I mean it's really interesting that you mentioned teaching because I think it's one of the you know I think some of our best teachers actually do help us psychologically Mm -hmm. if it's not in the curriculum you know like my favorite I had a favorite English teacher George Bluen who taught us not only about Macbeth and and Heart of Darkness and Brave New World and Lord of the, Lord of the Flies, but he, he taught us about not only like feeling deeply, but thinking deeply, and, and mm-hmm. he was really there for us. I remember when I broke up with a girlfriend right before jun- junior prom, she broke my heart, and he was there. And I think the best teachers actually help us to understand how this our psyches work. Yeah. And, and I think it, isn't, it is true. It's like a shame that, I mean, I think we're doing it more and more. I think teachers are more emotionally intelligent. I think yeah. students are more emotionally intelligent. Um, but you're right. You'd think as a teacher, you you would really have a really nuanced view of how we work emotionally. And and and, and just as we're teaching reading, writing, and, you know, math and all the other good stuff, that in a way we should teach people how we work. Yeah. No, 100%. I, I just... I just found it interesting that in Canada, at least there was no like qualification that you could be like, oh yeah, like I've, I went and did more professional development to, to help myself and to help my classroom. And so that's why I kind of, why I did, I'm doing this whole program here now. Cause it's, I might, I don't know who to speak to about him being like, Hey, you should add this for teachers. It would be useful. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. 
I want to jump right into the though, um, just kind of learning, getting your perspective more so on what you've seen with with people in their 20s, college students, um, like young adults and all of that stuff. So something that I know I've been told a lot is like, I'm you're too sensitive or you're over emotional or like, like this and that. Like, do you hear that from other people in their 20s, first of all? Yeah. Okay. There's so many. Yeah. Don't you feel relieved? So for all of those out there who are in their 20s, I want to just clear up two important bits. One, they say it's like the best years of your life or college is the four best years of your life. And yes, there's so many rewarding, wonderful things, but it's also probably the hardest time Mm. of your life because you're expected to like know who you are, but you don't fully know who you are yet. And you're trying to juggle so much and yet you're trying to fake it till you make it and look like you know what you're doing when you have no idea because you only partly know. Yeah. So I just want to kind of like normalize this sense that if you don't know what you're doing in your 20s, you're doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to know. Right? And the other thing too is, you know, to your point, Shelby, about being too sensitive or too emotional, like think of the cauldron of different emotions that we're experiencing, the kind of crucible of different emotions that we're experiencing Mm -hmm. in our 20s, because we're trying to figure out how to reconcile so many different things. What do I want to do with my life? Who do I want to like try and really be in a full-fledged relationship with and not? And like, how do I like reconcile where I came from and where I'm going? These are really intensely personal and emotional things. How could we not be sensitive at this time? Yeah. There's never a time where we have a right to be really sensitive. So I think it's like important to just lean into how much turmoil. I think part of the reason I went into college counseling is because I found college to be extraordinarily wonderful, but also difficult. Mm. And I wish that, you know, there had been more said about this is just the beginning. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's it's tough because like that's one of the reasons why too like I I like to do this is because everyone talks about high school right or oh, high school is the best oh this and that but like you're you're young you're very young like you're fourteen to what eighteen maybe and it's once you hit your twenties and like you're just finishing college in some cases some cases maybe you're going a little bit later like you're you're getting your career like I started teaching at twenty three and you're like you're just kind of thrown into this and you're just like here go ahead, fly. You know what I mean? And it's like, you're just like, okay, fly where? What do I do? How do I do this? Like, I didn't learn how to do any of this. (laughs) My trigonometry, grade 11 trigonometry is not going to help me with this. (laughs) Exactly. And, and, but we make it feel like it should, Mm -hmm. right? I think the other thing that we also forget is that culture and society has changed so much in terms of the timing on things. Like it used to be like 50 years ago, you know, 60 years ago, like you, got out of high school you could like start a career and like raise a family yeah or even out of college and now it's like people are still finding themselves into their 20s and 30s and 40s and Mm. you know life life issues have changed yeah so it's it's a lot more murky um but it also means there's a lot more possibility too that's the other hopeful thing true and i think you know one of the cool things about being in our 20s is that we really can dig in to find out what really makes us tick? What do we really love? What do we really hate? What really speaks to us? And what are the areas of conflict that we're trying to work through? And like allow yourself to, to have a little bit more of a learning curve with that. Because I think we sometimes think we should know it all by the time we're 25. You know? Yeah, I, f- I feel that. By the time you're 30, like by the time you're 30, like people like sort of have that like, oh my God, I should have all my stuff together by the time I'm 30. Yeah, like I should be, I should be married. I should have a, 
two kids. I, you know what I mean? Like that house with the white picket fence. I should have all of that by the time you're 30. And like they put, you put that age, that time limit on yourself kind of. Yeah. And I'm trying to find that, you know, uh, Carl Jung said something really great. He said, life really begins at 40. Up until then you were just doing research. (laughs) That's funny. I like that. I've never heard that before. Yeah, so, I mean, doesn't that make you feel a little bit at ease, like, as a 20-something? Like, okay. A little bit, a little bit. Do you think, like, the idea of wanting to be perfect and, like, getting, like, having that whole I white picket fence family relationship and all of that stuff, like, that idea of perfectionism is what's causing us to feel so uneasy when we go through our 20s? Yes. I think perfectionism of all stripes and varieties does that because perfectionism holds out this idealized vision that we can and should be perfect. And what it does is it sort of dishonors the realness of us. Right? And part of what makes us really interesting and, and really kind of complex is the fact that we're not perfect. Yeah. And the other thing, the other thing is that, you know, it's like, I mean, this is a weird analogy, but you know, you can't be every instrument in the orchestra. Like, if you're a cello, be a cello, but you can't be a trumpet. Like, and, and, but we have this strange notion that we should be everything. Yeah. And we should be everything and perfect in terms of either achievement or attractiveness or, yeah. you know, where we are on, on the, in the sequence of getting all this together. But really, it's a lot more like yoga. Like, we're just, should stay on our own mat and just realize we are where we are. You're just full of analogies. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, the other thing, too, is like the more that we actually get to understand who we are and how we work, and like we're also discovering our, our very nature. Yeah. And that's something that's in our core. And, you know, we don't always have it all figured out of how we're going to use that nature. And sometimes, by the way, you don't even know how an experience in one place is going to help you in some other place. True. Like, I I played piano as a kid. I studied classical and I studied jazz. And I never thought it would be helpful in my career as a therapist at all. Yeah. Right? I didn't work at a conservatory most of my my adult life. But it's been interesting to see how much it actually is very, very connected. Hmm you know, to understanding how people work because people's emotions change like chords and trying to figure out what's the theme of what's going on is like finding out their melody. And so who would have thought that something as, you know, this is just a hobby would help me someplace else. Just like being with one experience of adversity or another could also help you in ways that you don't realize until later. True. Where do you think that like the whole idea of perfectionism stems from and like comes from? Oh, well, it comes, it comes from the beginning of itself, of time itself. Well, right? but, okay, if we don't go that far back. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, the story of the Garden of Eden is the first story of perfectionism and, and trying to deal with it, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, you're no, right. Like you're totally connected to each other. You're connected to God. Um, you're connected to the natural world. There's no division. And all of a sudden, you want more. Yeah. You want to be like God in a different kind of way. You feel it's sort of boring to be so perfect. And so they eat of the apple, and then all of a sudden they're exiled. But w- there's other commentators um, who look at the story and say, you know, it's actually not just a fall from grace. It's an opportunity for them to create now anew. And, you know, the interesting thing is Adam begins naming the world. Eve is capable of having a child. Yeah. It's the beginning of creativity. Yeah. But we tend to think of perfection as something that we should come back to. And we should come back to parts of it. 
great. We don't want to totally forget that there's a garden, but we might not be able to come back to it in that perfect, perfect way. Yeah, yeah. And so I think, but I think you're right. I think perfection is like this desire to have it all and desire to be it all, mm-hmm. which is actually the reason that it's problematic is it's, it's so understandable that we all want to do it, but it's like, we gotta be, we have to also put this in human proportion. Yeah. And being a creative being is to conjure and reach towards something that's divine, but it also is honoring something that's sort of human. And I but think, yeah, to, like, uh, dealing with a little bit of loss and grief. Mm, yeah, no, for sure. I think too, social media, especially this day and age, plays a huge part in that as well. Completely. Like you Completely. have like the the fear missing out and like the comparison, comparison, comparisonism, comparisons. I've yeah, got, like I teach French. <laughs> It's so it's so easy to compare yeah. in, in these terrible ways because of all that's out there and you know how it's also curated to make it seem. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, like everyone's using all the filters and like making creating that perfect image and and stuff like that and the perfect feed and yeah, it definitely contributes to the problem a little bit, I think. <laughs> and if it makes anybody feel better, um, you know, I've met people who are at the height of their career or the height they they're attractive as models or you name it, and they're still struggling with everything mm-hmm. that we all struggle with because we we none of us have it all together and none yeah. of us really show it. That's yeah. okay. Yeah. It's actually kind of good. Yeah, yeah. It, it makes us a little bit more human. <laughs> yeah, a little more interesting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, tell me about your TED Talk. What it, oh, did, yeah, that so, was fun. So, like, did they approach you? Did you apply? Like, how did that work? So, yeah, I applied. Like, I applied in multiple places. So, I once was at a conference. Yeah. And I, after, when, when I gave this talk, it was about something completely different. I was talking about, I was talking about the psychology of men today. Okay. I was like... And someone came up to me afterward and said, oh, my God, as soon as you started talking, I felt like I was watching a TED Talk. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. I like that's I love watching TED Talks. Yeah. And she's like, no, you should do it. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Mere mortals like me don't do TED Talks. And she's like, you don't know TEDx. So I was like, OK, so I started researching it. And and I, I decided, you know, I started this group when I was at a college um, specifically for introverts and and everybody made fun of me because they thought no one was going to show up but it became like the most popular and diverse and cohesive group I'd ever run and I thought we don't talk about this Mm. even as therapists we don't talk about like maybe we try to one-size-fits-all approach yeah we're talking to people coming to therapy we're thinking about them and there are loads of people who are introverts who don't know it and then they struggle with anxiety and depression because they feel like there's something wrong with them. Yeah. So I decided, like, hey, let me talk about this group and talk about this thing. Um, and that's how it came about. That's so cool. Um, was it, like, did you, where did, like, did you have to go into, like, New York City to film it? Or, like, how did that all work? So what's cool is it was actually in my town. Oh. It was at a really nice little old theater. And it was a great space. And. I got to meet loads of other people from my community who were giving a talk at the same time. It's a really great experience doing a TED Talk. If ever, you know, anybody in your audience, it's, it's just a wonderful thing. You, they're all over the country and all over the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you have some interesting idea to change the world, you can apply. And it's, it's just a wonderful experience. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, I, I saw that in your thing. And I was like, ooh, I want him to tell me about it. Like, because <laughs> it's, that's, it fun. that's, yeah, that's very cool. I personally don't know, like, any or and I don't can't think of anybody I know that has done one so that's awesome um I want to kind of 
go back a little bit there and um when you were talking about how you were uh, a college counselor and on college campuses and stuff what are some of the most like crazy challenges that you've seen college kids face and experience oh the craziest challenges (laughs) Uh, let me count the ways um (laughs) It's, it's almost hard to isolate because, you know, everybody's story is so particular. Yeah. But, um, you know, I've, I've seen students who've dealt with all the garden variety stuff that you'd expect, mm-hmm. like like really high anxiety or depression. But then, you know, I've also had people who've had that on top of having, let's say, a chronic illness or some dis- disability, mm-hmm. you know, on top of it. Um, so sometimes when it's like a combination like that, but... There's, there's loads of really, um, I, I think people don't realize how much, um, how many, how many difficult circumstances people can be resourceful in dealing with. Oh, for sure. So in college counseling, you see a lot of things. And I mean, I remember I once worked with a guy who, um, somebody who, who well, he became a drug dealer. Oh, wow. It was not something that I, you know, obviously was, I'm sure he wasn't really proud of. But it turns out when I asked him a little bit about what that was about and what he actually liked about being a drug dealer, you know, like, because I knew it was a deeper story. He was a really nice guy and had a really interesting way about him. And I could see it was a way of dealing with grief of not having a connection because um, of certain things going on in his family. And, and being a dealer allowed him to feel connected to a lot of people in a strange kind of way. Interesting. It's crazy. Um, it's crazy how the, like, the mind goes that way. You know what I mean? And, like, how you we're try to... We're all looking for connection. Yeah. We're all looking for healing things that are difficult and also looking for ways of finding what we couldn't find mm-hmm. in whatever way we couldn't find them before. So it was interesting because with him, I, I really... I think he was surprised that I didn't get, like, judgmental about yeah. his choice of career. Um, but I really felt that there was some deeper kind of significance to it mm-hmm. and that it wasn't just about you know dealing trying to yeah hurt anybody. yeah 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 and and it turns out there was a deeper story of like you know he was somebody who was studying something that we could find a more interesting constructive career out of hmm. and and he happened to have a particular love of a particular sport and we talked about that sport a lot yeah and you know there was a lot of interesting connections to how that you know, got manifested in this is this kind of maladaptive thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's super cool. Can I ask what, um, like, do you use, do you use, like, CBT? Like, what kind of, what kind of therapy do you do? Or did you do, like, on the college campuses? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, I, I'm, I bring a lot of different things in, yeah. but I, I tend to be very relational, like, in terms of understanding, like, I love to look at, you can tell I love using metaphors, right? So, like, I love using metaphors, but I also love trying to help people sort of put stuff on the table where we can make connections between one thing that's mm. like over here on one side and something that seems totally far away. Yeah. And that's also what I like to do with like looking at how something that's happening right now in your life or your relationship might echo something that's sort of unfinished business from some things in the past and how we're all trying to creatively work through them. Huh. To kind of like right. bring that like that full circle effect I guess 
Yeah, because the psyche actually wants to be creative and wants yeah. to not only repair things, but it also wants to redo them. Mm. So Freud had this notion of what's called the repetition compulsion. He's like, wait, why is it that we continue to repeat those things that are problematic? Like, you know, when you date the same kind of guy or the same kind of girl, you're like, oh my God, what's wrong with me? Yeah. Or like you encounter those people who are just like that critical father or that withholding mother or you name it. Yeah. And he said, it's not because we're masochistic. It's because there's an actual desire to work through this time. Huh. And if we could do something new with it, which is sort of like creative with it, yeah. if we could have a new experience of facing down this difficulty, but also having an opportunity to make it better, it's sort of like maybe this time, maybe. as the old song goes. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's great. Did you find when you were, when you worked um, with college kids and young adults that like there was a, still a big stigma behind therapy? No, no, actually, no, you know, what's interesting about millennials and Gen Zers and, you know, even I'm an exennial, but like, I think even in my generation, I think it was changing that not only are students and young adults not really as stigmatizing about mental health, they're very quick to get on the bandwagon. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we have this actually paradoxical effect that we made mental health so much more um, accessible and also much more like relatable that lots of people feel comfortable almost to the fact that they were over identifying with having mental issues, which is ironic. Now it's good for people to feel like, okay, wait, I can talk about stuff, but sometimes people also pathologize just important experiences. Like if you're feeling anxiety, it's often because you have a conflict between different feelings. Yeah. Now you might have an anxiety disorder and that's still worthy of looking at. But sometimes we are quick to over-identify of like, because I've had this or that, therefore I'm always going to be this. Yeah, 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 yeah. And as human beings, we're much more complex and more dynamic. And ironically, sometimes we don't trust the fact that there's something creative trying to work itself through. said i think people do still feel squeamish about it even when i was also our when i was in college we also had the counseling center was sort of separated from the rest of the area so that you could sort of like walk yeah like oh i'm just going for a walk i'll be back back you know no worries um and and i think it is really good that people feel more comfortable i think it's interesting to see even like the, like mental health influencers on like Instagram and, mm. and you know like all these and talking about these really important issues like you know there was you know one of the things I was really I was really amazed by is like there was a song several years back by Logic that was basically the 800 number for a suicide hotline oh. like it was just the song name was the number <laughs> and apparently they did research on it and that song led to many more people who needed the help getting it Oh, wow. So it was actually really amazing mental health advertisement. And I think the fact that we have people who are really out there, you know, in the public eye, but also just generally, mm-hmm. I think it has kind of seeped into the system that not only this is okay, but that this is actually smart and resourceful to do. Yeah. I think on the other hand, like you said, though, sometimes we forget how to sort of more trust more fully that we're actually built to do this, that therapy is about helping us to deep in those skills but the skills are there yeah and to and and to help us like unpack unpack stuff that maybe you can't or wouldn't do on your own 
Yeah, and I mean, the, the other thing, too, is, like, I think good therapy is both, like, almost like a massage in which, like, sometimes, like, if you're feeling, like, really sore and you need, like, something, like, that'll help you relieve you or relieve pain. Yeah. And then I also think sometimes therapy is also, like, going to Juilliard, no offense to my own school, but um, because... If you go to Juilliard, like you could be a great musician, but you still know that you, you got to train with the best to really bring out the best in your instrument. Mm. So I see it on like those two levels of one to like relieve pain and problems, but also on another to really, really know your instrument well. Yeah, no, that's 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 awesome. Like your your knowledge is so good, <laughs> and it really makes you like it really makes you think, and you're just like, yeah, oh. <laughs> you're like, yeah, I, that clicks with me. I get that. Yeah, you're like, that makes sense. <laughs> what was what's some of the best advice? Either life advice, relationship advice, mental health advice. The best advice you've ever received. Oh, that's interesting. Um, <laughs> that I've ever received. So you know, it's funny. One of the things that I've discovered along the way. Um, both in my own therapy and also in, in studying therapy is that we are multitudes. We are many different sides. I think throughout my life, I always thought you had to be this one central, like put mm-hmm. together self. And that's how you were fulfilled, successful and all that kind yeah. of stuff. But I've come to realize, no, we're actually very multidimensional. It's okay that we switch all the time. Mm. And in fact, it's really healthy that we can kind of switch because it allows us to have more range. So I think the greatest thing for me, and I remember one of the things I learned from my own therapist too at one point was when he said, wait, why do you think it should be otherwise that you, why do you think you should always be at this one, like even level? That's not fair. Yeah. And that's not really how we work. So I think sometimes, like, one of the things that I thought that was really astounding to me was, like, wait, the fact that we're so dynamic and changeable is a good thing? Like, you know, if you thought of, like, if the way our moods change looks like the stock market or, like, the way in which our heart rate changes probably does the same thing. But if you realize that that's actually natural. Yeah. Because... We're having all these different kinds of emotions, these different kinds of thoughts go through us. Why wouldn't we be changeable? That means that there's a richness there. So I think the greatest thing that I ever learned in that regard is like, wow, this is this is a an asset, not a liability. Mm, this is going to, it's funny, as you were talking, this is going to make me sound real young. And I don't know if you are going to know exactly what I'm talking about, but I'm going to say it anyway. As you were talking about that, the only thing I could think of <laughs> was the high school musical you know High School Musical, like the series, yeah, like sure. okay, not this, not the new one on Netflix, like the one that was on like Disney Channel when I was younger, and there was like a scene when they're all in the cafeteria and like the jocks want to hang out with the music people, and then like the music guy wants to bake, and like the skater girl wants to like do cheerleading, and like everyone wanted to do something different, and like they were trying to say that it was okay, and then the mean girl's like, no, just leave it as it is, and that's what you were talking about, reminding me exactly of that, and that just. Made me feel real young there. You know, it's so funny because we we don't want to typecast others, but sometimes we typecast ourselves. Oh yeah. And, you know, and I, I I like joke like we really should have as much range as some of our favorite actors and actresses. Mm-hmm. Like Meryl Streep has amazing range as an actress, but it's a good metaphor for like how we should have a lot of range with the different kinds of places we can go. The yeah. Different aspects of ourselves. That's that's amazing. That's so good. I got one more for you before I let you go. If you, I like to ask, I like to finish every episode like this. If you could go back and tell 20-year-old Michael anything, what would you tell him and why? 
you're going to be surprised. Um, that's what I'd say to him first, is you're going to be surprised at how much all this stuff that you think is dirt is gold. Oh. Right? Because there's a lot of stuff that I thought was just challenge and difficulty, but it was actually paving the way for me finding the gold in there. Sure. And there's 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 a lot of... we, we <laughs> And to use that analogy in a way, it's like, I think sometimes we don't realize that we're we're getting a lot of dirt but it's if it's in an area where there's a lot of gold don't worry about it yeah and i think sometimes in our 20s we think it's all just dirt yeah but there's so much gold in there yeah you don't realize that you're gonna like find your way through it eventually yeah and i mean there's no way to the gold if you don't get in the dirt and true. I think yeah that's true where the perfection like is oh wait we shouldn't get in the dirt we shouldn't get this mud on our face no how are you gonna get the gold yeah no you're so right so i think it's really cool to like see like wait a minute but yeah. then again, you know what? I'm also like, it had to be that way because we don't like this process. It's not fun. It's not glamorous. So don't, don't like, I'm not trying to glamorize it. It doesn't feel good going through it. No, no, it really doesn't. <laughs> it really doesn't. And it's not easy. But the cool thing is that it becomes more worth it. Yeah. And we also start to see, wait a minute, these things that I thought were only bad or only negative about my life or myself, mm-hmm. they also have instructed me they also have expanded me they also have brought out more of the fullness of who i can be yeah that's amazing that's amazing thank you for sharing that um where can my listeners find you where are you oh yeah so you can find me um obviously you can search my tedx talk um you can find me on my website michaelalsey.com and then i have this cool book coming out which is really cool for therapists especially who like the arts and it's called Therapeutic Improvisation, How to Stop Winging It and Own It as a Therapist. Oh, well, that's awesome. That's so cool. So that's coming out in May. And so, yeah, it's on Amazon and all those places. So that's cool. And then I actually, this is good for your listeners. I do a Psychology Today blog called Live Life Creatively. So you can find loads of different articles on there, which is really fun. Awesome. Awesome. And I know that you're on Instagram because you shot me a follow. So I know you're there too. <laughs> that's right. So I'm just going to tag you in the post when this episode goes out so everybody can find you too. Yeah, my name is Mike Drop. Isn't that great? Yeah, yeah, that is great. (laughs) Because that's what we do in our 20s is we're on Instagram all the time. So I'm just going to share you there too. Um, But thank you so much for sharing um, your expertise with us, for for sharing your experience in the past and and your thoughts on, on mental health in your 20s. And I think it's... It's, it's really important for like everybody to kind of understand that and, and get that information because not everybody, as much as you and I talked about, like we are more accepting of it now, not everybody is there yet. And so us being able to share that and get that out there is really important. So I just appreciate your time with that. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> thank you so much, Michael. And we will keep in touch. All right. Yeah. Sounds good. Okay. Shelby. Thank you. This was fun, Shelby. Thanks so much. Thank you. So there is something that I want to kind of add here. And um, first of all, love chatting with Michael. He's such a sweetheart and so kind. There is this thing that teachers do. And I found out that this is really big in the States. So I'm just going to do a little plug here in case any of you are interested. Um, They do this thing in the States called teacher clear the list. And what it is is that teachers make a wish list on Amazon. It's almost like a baby registry or like a wedding registry. 
and they make a list on Amazon of all the things that they need for their classroom for the fall. And last year, there was a few people, um, that's where I kind of learned about it. I started seeing on Instagram, and I'm like, ooh, what is this? So I started putting together a list um, and last summer, and one person, I don't know who it was, some very kind stranger, picked something off my list and sent it to my house, and it was like a super surprise. It was a, uh, one of the French books that were on my list, because French books are hard to find. And I was so excited. So I was like, well, this year I'm going to start advocating for my classroom earlier. So I updated my list, I made it public, and I've been tweeting it on social media, or tweeting on social media, I've been quoting it on social media and tweeting it on Twitter. And something really cool is that um, one of the girls who was on The Bachelor, uh, her name was Marlena, and she was the former US Olympian. She actually retweeted it, my tweet, which is so cool. And then there was another girl on The Bachelor named Serene. She also retweeted that, my tweet, which is super, super cool and awesome, um, just to kind of get the message out. You know what I mean? Like so many teachers buy resources for their own, like for their classroom out of their own pocket. And it's crazy how much we spend. It's crazy. And I'm starting a new at a new school in September with a brand new grade. And I would love, love, love to start like, collecting items for my classroom because come the end of August I get to start setting up and stuff for our start um, and I just would love 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 and be super appreciative if anybody even wanted to check out the list spread the list around um, share the link anything um, and I know that my students would really appreciate it too so it will the link is posted in on my Instagram and if you want to check it out I would be greatly appreciated. My students would be greatly appreciated. There's lots of French resources on there that I'd love to be able to collect and just like stuff to, for the bulletin boards because that's also very expensive and just to kind of create a good positive vibe going into September because now that the pandemic's over and everybody's kind of slowly getting back to school and past online learning, I want to make my environment, my atmosphere as nicest as I possibly can in my class. So that's what I want to say. <laughs> about that and second of all I just want to really say thank you to you guys for always listening for always tuning in every week it means a lot um I wouldn't be able to do it without you guys listening to be honest and I just want to extend my appreciation to you guys and I hope that if you are continuing to work in the summer that you find time to relax and spend time with your loved ones and if you get to have the summers off whether you're a student or a teacher or just get vacation enjoy it bask in it because <laughs> um, it's coming it's coming soon and i'm so excited um but uh that's it take care guys and uh we'll chat next week